Welcome to Manowaker Studios Flash Fiction Podcast. I'm C.B. Derogi. This week, Critical Need by Mike Adamson. I knew it would be a shit day when my supervisor told me the automatic landing system had gone down and the robot was U.S. That means unserviceable. It happens. As an old Navy man, I'm the first to understand. I saw it too often as a landing signal officer on the old Gerald Ford-class carriers. In the days of piloted aircraft. They called it a job as obsolete as the battleship and retired me when the service roboticized. So here I was, working on the airside parking complex of the Mercury Hotel in downtown Chicago, running down the clock to read you. It's a living. Jill Henshaw was my boss. Hard, directing traffic control around the kilometer-high tower, which I respect. I looked over scrambled computer feeds in the control room and watched a screen, where service guys sent a drone up the scaffolds to the transponder towers which guide traffic around the Mercury's swank landing pad and reception. With the humanoid robot designed for LSO duties on its back in the workshop, I agreed. Not readily, but agreed. I was promised a nice bonus, which sweetened it. The problem was the weather. In this climate-ruined age, squalls off the lakes whipped the gray-brown overcast to a fury, making air travel risky. But nowadays, computers never let us down, and cars keep right on flying. I was getting into my weather gear in the service bay when the union rep, Castor, put his fair head in and challenged me. Don, this is out of line, you know it. It's hairy, I agreed, but even backups have failed. Henshaw's demonstrated critical need. Smiling, I closed the Velcro of a signal orange suit. Besides, I've done it before. Twenty years ago, Castor cautioned, his gaunt face very serious. What about your critical need to life and limb? I rose and slapped him on the back. I know what I'm doing. It's a job for a man. Watch me do it. I regretted the flippancy the moment I stepped out the service hatch into the broad landing apron, which thrust out from the fiftieth floor like the fantail of a carrier. The wind slugged me sideways into the protective netting before I had my balance. The technician accompanying me grabbed the safety rail with both hands. We crept along the steel-caged walk to the edge of the platform, then up a caged ladder over dizzying heights into the LSO crow's nest. The tech stayed on his knees as he extruded the spring-loaded tethers and clipped them into my belt. I locked the illuminated paddles into the Velcro of my gloves, tapped my ear to activate the feed. I heard the traffic talk back in the faceplate filled with data for vehicles on approach. The tech slapped my shoulder and I nodded him away. He wanted only to get back inside, but to me, uh, this was a perverse kind of heaven. It took me back to heavy weather at sea, bringing aboard planes that should never have been up. The weather was so thick I couldn't see Lake Michigan, though I know it lapped a thousand meters from the mercury. All around rose the candy lights of the city, burning harshly even in daylight under this storm front sweeping the Great Lakes. The sky was blacks, grays, yellows, browns. I seemed to stand in the storm itself, 
and the tugging, buffeting wind was an old friend. Rain plastered my visor. I felt the tingling rage of the squalls as I waited for the next approach. Mercury traffic control announced the bay was open once more, and a minute later I had trade. A long metallic blue Cadillac drifted in on whisper-perfect quadrotors. The onboard computer handled the crosswind, but the pilot needed an extra steer. My paddles gave him attitude and height, and he did a good job, and thirty seconds later was in the foyer, gull wings up and valet droids jumping for the luggage. Thunder exploded around me, so loud I was paralyzed for moments, realizing the lightning had run up the conductors above the pad. I laughed, an insane flash of humor, remembering storms at sea, wind in your teeth, and fighting it with everything you had. This was the pattern. Wave pilots in, get them in the parking bay, stand broad-legged leaning against the wind until I couldn't feel my extremities. Only Velcro stopped the paddles being ripped away a dozen times. An intense gust lifted me, strained me on the tethers like a kite. If a car had been on approach just then, it would have been a disaster. I yelled at control and got ten minutes respite, crouched low and watched the lightning spiderweb among the towers of Chicago in the luminous gloom. My heart was racing, but this was life as I hadn't lived it in far too long. I might never do it again, so why would I object? When the storm began to lighten, they vectored more traffic, and soon I was cranking cars into the bay against the wind and rain. Conditions alleviated little by little. I'd been an hour on the pad, out among the antennas, safety nets and marker beacons, when Control reported the auto-landing system back online. I could come in. I barely felt my legs under me as the tech appeared from the crawl hole. The tethers released, and he helped me down the ladder one perilous rung at a time. The caged walk was an exercise in pain through freezing limbs. And when the hatch closed at last, it seemed my ears rang in the quiet. I knew I was probably crazy, but pride was involved too. When robots fail, flesh and blood can still come through, and it matters. Well, it matters to me. I peeled out of the soaked gear and collapsed in Control's standby lounge. A moment later, a mug of whiskey-laced coffee was thrust upon me. The heat seared circulation back to life in my white fingers, and I breathed the steam, reveling in the peace. I'd done something insane, and it'd be worth many a round at the next service reunion. In the office, Jill Henshaw was talking animatedly with one of the senior hotel managers. It wasn't necessarily my business, but I slipped the earpiece back in and thumbed my comp and picked up the surveillance mics. We all did it. In a society where constant observation is deemed a public good, there's no such thing as real privacy. Glad we got through this without incident, the manager was saying. Your man did a damn fine job. You can make that bonus as generous as you like. Send him upstairs for a week on the spa level, anything. I'm sure he'll appreciate it, Henshaw replied. Pity about the robot, but... Policy, the suit replied with a shrug. Can't be helped. They're just too damn valuable to risk in crap conditions. One static discharge, it's fried. 
No, better to let a man do a man's job. If you say so, Henshaw sighed. I do. Now I'd better get back to the customers. When he emerged from the office, the first thing he saw was me, Jack in my ear, union card in my hand, and a look in my eyes like murder. His face turned white. This has been Critical Need, written by Mike Adamson, and first appearing in K-Zine. Menowaker Studios' flash fiction podcast is supported by patrons on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash to find out more. The Flash Fiction Podcast theme song is by Kevin McLeod. Manowaker Studios' director of Dice is Ben Baston. The podcast is produced, edited, and narrated by me, C.B. Drogi. Thanks for listening. Thank you.